Welcome back, champions, to the Champion Mindset Collective Podcast. This is the place where we ignite your passion, turbocharge your success, and transform your thinking and ignite the champion within you. I'm your host, Anthony Dyer, and I'm so grateful that you're here listening and watching this uh, podcast. And would love for you to share this episode with your friends, your family, and your workmates. And if you haven't already done so, please follow this podcast so that you don't miss any, any future episodes. And so we can get this podcast out to the wider community. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to and privilege to welcome you all to this podcast interview. Today's special guest is talking about loneliness and social well-being. Today's guest is a daughter, a sister, auntie, friend, and a certified coach. She combines lived experience and science to help her clients with strengths-based approach to social well-being. Today's guest is Angela Campbell. Welcome, Angela. Hi, Anthony. Good to be here. How are you doing? You good? I'm well, thank you. Hope you are too. Thank you. Uh, Good to have you on this podcast. So tell me, what is a strength-based approach to social well-being? So, I mean, basically, we've all got these amazing strengths, and some of them are recognized and some of them aren't in our everyday lives. Um, A lot of people through professional practice will have worked with something like Gallup strengths, um, the Clifton strengths approach. Um, in other areas, you might have worked with the VIA framework. Um, but there's also a whole bunch of invisible social strengths, I believe, that are under-recognized, but they're actually the key to us supercharging our social well-being. Um, things, for example, I'll give you an, an um, a, for instance, a friend of mine hates waiting at cafes and bars and stuff when we're catching up. It makes her really anxious. She gets really nervous about it. Um, I, on the other hand, I don't mind. I just sit there, do my thing and let the world pass me by. She really values that. So I'm always 10 minutes early waiting around for her, but it doesn't bother me. To her, that's an amazing social strength of mine because it relieves that anxiety um, ridden situation for her. So some of these things, like I didn't even think about that beforehand, but when she pointed it out to me, I'm like, okay, yes, I can see how that would be a strength. I can see how that improves my relationships. So there's a mm. bunch of those that we all have um, yeah. that I believe go un- unrecognized or underrecognized all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I did do a podcast interview with um, a fellow coach, uh, uh, Alison Gray, and she is the Gallup Strengths um, um, Certified Coach. Um, so she mm. does that. Yeah, it was quite interesting. You know, she, we talked about the the top five strengths and then the supporting strengths and then the weaknesses. So, so I'm get, um, I'm taking it that that's kind of similar to what you do. Kind of. I mean, I am Clifton Strength certified myself, mm-hmm. um, and I find that in many contexts that framework is absolutely amazing. But when mm-hmm. it comes specifically to our social well being, our social relationships are a bit like air. You know, that mm. touches everything around us. And we don't really notice the quality of it until we're lacking in some and then we're breathless, you know. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's everywhere. And I think we need to be aware of our social strengths so that they can be everywhere too. And we can solutionize, that's not a word, but I'll use it. Solutionize, mm-hmm. you know, from moment to moment and create basically our best social lives. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so can you explain why young people are particularly vulnerable to loneliness, despite being so connected 
online? Yeah, so that's um, a really interesting area when it comes to social well-being because when you say someone is lonely, often the picture that comes to us is an elderly person. Um, and while there are situational aspects to that, you know, if your friends um, have maybe moved away to live with children or passed away or you've lost a spouse, um, there are definitely aspects to that that can play into a lower so social well-being. Um, young people are particularly susceptible to loneliness. Part of this is, I believe, because they have been raised to be so reliant on devices as digital natives. There's not a time for our Gen Z buddies that the devices haven't been there. Um, mm. And we see this in a lot of Gen Z people have a fascination with the TV show Friends. And mm -hmm. it's almost in a nostalgic way because it's something they'll never experience. Being that present with their friends you know these people are hanging mm. out at a coffee shop and very rarely did you see them checking their cell phones mm, no. they were always just completely in one another's presence and in one another's lives um, so got a whole generation that's missed out on that yeah i don't think they had cell phones back then did they and the friends series? um probably not at the beginning it wouldn't have been no widespread yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah absolutely you're right um i can see how like i, I see my daughter you know she's constantly glued to the phone or whatever but um i encourage her very much so to go out and play and yeah and um you know spend time and actually go out rather than staying at home because you know staying at home um you can't you it, you like these days you go you stay at home and you just watch tv or you you know and you're in the company of someone but you're still quite lonely if, and if you know what i mean you know, yeah because you're not actually spending that quality time so I'm get, is that what you mean by not not being present with someone um, and actually being on a device or, yeah? I think there's two main elements to youth loneliness. Um, and I am speaking in particularly in New Zealand context, but I'm sure it applies um, in a broader, to other cultures as well. Um, mm. I think there's the device issue that is huge, a huge contributor to, like I said, people not being as present as they possibly could be. And I think the other thing is young people, particularly when as leaders, we're looking at our younger millennial and Gen Z employees um, have been raised with a very different set of expectations than we were yeah. um, in terms of what it means to communicate, what it means to, again, be present with someone, um, what it means to mm. give them your full attention and provide them with the information that they need to take the social cues from you um, when you're looking at particularly relationship building roles. I think mm. there's a huge, um, huge space to explore and how we optimize that, particularly for our younger employees. That's an interesting one. Yeah. It's a lot more work to be it done is. in this area. So true. Mm, absolutely. So um, how do, how does the profound impact of loneliness on health, as highlighted by the Office of the Surgeon General, compared to the risks of heavy drinking? Yeah, so Vivek Methi, the um, Surgeon General of the United States, released an advisory not so long ago, and it basically outlined the fact that loneliness is horrible for you. Um, so if we look at physical inactivity, 
if we look at drinking, and when I say drinking, I mean up to six drinks, standard drinks a day. Mm. Um, when we look at smoking, loneliness is worse for you than all of those. Up to mm. 15 cigarettes a day is where the data lands on how bad loneliness can be for you. Rates above obesity and air pollution and a whole bunch of other stuff that we talk about all the time in terms of our well-being, but we don't talk about loneliness because it's so mm. stigmatized. Mm. Um, so I'm really pleased that Dr. Murthy put out that advisory because we can't fix a problem until we acknowledge it. And having it acknowledged at a governmental and international level is definitely a great start. So in terms of um, relation to addictive behaviors, drinking, gambling, shopping addictions, loneliness is also closely tied to them. So not only is it worse for you than those things, or than drinking or smoking or food and alcohol, um, it can actually lead to that. A lot of people, particularly with shopping and gambling, seek to fill the social holes that they have in their lives with stuff. Mm. So they go shopping. Mm. Um, so it's a big web of unhealthy habits. Um, and yeah. so you want to ideally dig down to the one that's causing a lot of them and start there. Yeah. It's that ret retail therapy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not therapy though, because when you look right. at, I'm sure you've, you're familiar with the hedonic treadmill, you know, once you've uh -huh. got, okay. So basically the premise of it is once you've got enough or as much as you thought you needed, that level then bumps up a bit. Right. So once you've got the Lexus, you think, oh, but you know what? The Maserati looks really good. <laughs> mm. um, so so never is it therapy, retail therapy? No. Probably not. You still want to going to want to go shopping yeah. a month later. That's, I guess it's like a drug. Eh? You, just, um, you just get addicted to it and you just keep yeah. going the next more and more. So, yeah, rather than sort of um, living in your means and just being happy with what you have and be grateful for what you have. Um, rather than trying to, I think a lot of people also into that whole impressing others or because that person has something that I should get this, you know. Mm. So, I mean, that's so hard though, you know, because society tells us that what it means to be successful is to drive a Maserati and to marry a Kardashian or, I don't know, whoever your hot person is, um, <laughs> you know, and to have all the money and to have the big house. And and this is drilled into us from a very early age, um, yeah. just as the idea that loneliness is the opposite of popularity mm -hmm. is silently drilled into us. We think that if someone's outgoing and popular and social, that they can never be lonely. And that's mm -hmm. completely untrue. It's about yeah. unmet social expectations, and those are different for everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so with the loneliness costing billions annually, as noted in the report by the Bank West Curtin and the Economic Centre, what societal changes do you think are necessary to address this issue? So that report was done over in Aussie. Um, and there is another report, I think it's tied to um, Dr. Murthy's advisory, um, which outlines the US cost at, from memory, $154 billion, which is a staggering amount. Wow. Um, 
the factors in that are slightly different. So some of these things are reporting on lost productivity in mm. terms of loneliness, um, you lowered employee engagement and well-being. Um, others are reporting on things like um, medical costs, increased medical costs, non-essential calls and visits to essential service providers. So people turning up to the A&E because they're lonely and things like that. A bunch of different stuff that gets measured with these reports. Um, in the Australian one, I think one of the um, societal changes is already happening there. And sadly, it's not happening as much here in New Zealand. Um, there is a massive focus. So again, you can't fix what you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. um, they're already measuring it. They're already working on strategies. Mm -hmm. um, we are here in New Zealand, but in a much less, it hasn't really trickled down the way it has across the Tasman. Um, so what I would love to see, both in Australia and New Zealand and, and across the world, is just really solid data, um, really solid measurements that we can compare across the globe, basically. Mm. Um, it's starting to happen, but it's happening slower than we need it to. Um, and then obviously, extrapolating from those those measurements culturally appropriate solutions that's where it will be different in country to country and community to community as to how we deal with those things so do, how, how do you think that could be sped up um you know what what would it take to speed that up and and make it happen i mean that's a tricky one when we look at the climate crisis and how mm. long it's taken and is still taking um, countries across the world to get anywhere near on the same page in terms mm. of understanding the climate crisis and dealing with it. Mm. Um, we can see that there's probably quite a long road ahead. And I think there needs to be pressure from um, citizens and constituents mm. for a start. People need to let governments know that this is important to them. Mm. Otherwise, they won't deal with it. No, Unless your vote is on the line. <laughs> you know. It's not a priority to them, right? I mean, basically, yeah. uh, by the sounds of it, they've got pe professionals who deal with people with with the, you know loneliness, and mm. that's it. You know, it's a Band-Aid. It's not. Rather than, yeah. rather than actually trying to get to the root of the problem, uh, they're just putting Band-Aids on, basically. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, it just ends up another thing on a very long list of you know trying to mitigate harm to our marginalized communities um, which is definitely you know you triage it and you go with where it needs most so that should definitely be a way forward but we also need to look at top-down approaches um, mm. you know how do we change the social structure how do we return to if we're using an appreciative inquiry based method how do we return to what used to work when neighbourhoods were functioning well, when neighbourhoods were, yeah. um, as Seth Kaplan puts it, anti-fragile and they were working really, really well and yeah. that was going through. Yeah. I mean, like, like I was going to say, um, as you know, Kiwis don't really speak up for what they, you know, we tend to sort of just keep quiet. Um, uh, although, although since COVID, I think people are starting to speak out a bit more, right? Mm. I'm just wondering, like, with is like having a a collective 
consciousness around in a community could could we could we start with community uh, conscious collective that then spreads out to further and then kind of then you've got like the backing of a huge collective of people going to government rather than mm. just a small you know what I mean so is there do you think there's opportunities uh to start something like that where definitely I think it's already them? underway um a community-based approach in in my opinion is definitely the the first and best way to go um, that takes different shapes. So it's already happening in a way at your local sports club. It's already happening in a way at your local community garden. You know, all of these people who are working on amazing projects and causes in your community already have the potential to make a big difference to our collective social well-being and to loneliness. Um, if you think about, for example, a football club, People turn up to training. They know exactly when it is. Um, they know exactly who's going to be there. You know, you're generating ongoing relationships. And then you turn up to your game on Saturday or whatever it is. And those relationships expand because you've also got other club members. You've got maybe a few sponsors there, members of the community watching the game. Um, so there's huge potential for community-based approaches. Mm. We just need to tie that together with, as I said, some really solid data and a committed approach. Mm. And the same goes for workplaces as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So uh let's let's uh let's believe that it's gonna happen. Um belief is one thing, let's also work for it though. Work for it, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Gotta work for it. Okay, so um according to the, the Harvard study of uh, adult development, so social relationships are key to happiness and longevity. How do you see this playing out in your work with clients at ours? So in my practice, one of the things that I, I really work on is meeting people where they're at. Mm. Um, because as I mentioned, everyone's social expectations, everyone's social needs are very, very different. Mm. Um, what causes one person to be in a position where they feel lonely might be no problem for someone else. But generally speaking, and when I say generally speaking, I mean, this is the book, um, The Good Life, um, based on the findings so far of that study, which has been going for, I want to say almost 100 years, maybe over 100 years. Um, mm. So it's a longitudinal study. And while there are some holes at the beginning of the research in terms of it only measured men, um, males from a certain sector of society, since then it's become much broader. and it's very reliable in terms of the findings. The biggest finding is that our social relationships are a huge predictor of our happiness and health and longevity. Mm. So when we look at that and, and I bring that into my practice in terms of individual clients, it's much like any, any other, it becomes a common sense thing. You know, mm. We know that smoking is not great for you. Mm -hmm. we know that drinking too much or taking drugs or or any other habit is not great for you we know that isolation is not great for you how mm. does that relate to you in your life you know, so it's it's about extrapolating it down to an individual level and making sure that people are aware of their strengths and can utilize them to 
address the particular needs that they have. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. great to have that overarching, those overarching findings, um, but it really does, you've got to approach it at an individual level as well. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. So loneliness presents various forms, right? From sadness to withdrawal. Um, how do you tailor, tailor your approach to accommodate for the like the diverse manifestations of loneliness? Yeah, so loneliness um, often flies under the radar because someone might look at how they're feeling and think, well, um, I'm off. It's not it's just mm, something's not right. And then they could clock it up to burn out. That happens a lot. That's that's what I did. I didn't think mm. I was lonely. I thought I was burned out. Um, you could clock it up to a multiple multiple issues within your life um, mm. without thinking about loneliness. As I said, some of that comes back to the stigma around it. Mm. Um, some of it comes back to the fact that we're just not in the habit of thinking of it as part of our well-being. Mm. So when we look at um, how it presents, it could be burnout. It could be, it could look like sadness. It could look like someone swinging completely the opposite way and being the life of the party because mm. they're trying to mitigate it yeah. by filling their life and being really busy and really popular, popular and, and all of that. So it presents differently for everyone and because everyone's got different social strengths because everyone's got different resources within their life mm. the approach will always be quite different mm. and that's why as I mentioned try and meet every client where they're at a single tradie um, mm. will have very different needs to an executive who's maybe got a family mm. of five. Um, mm. the conditions that they're under are different so the solution needs to be different as well. We wouldn't dream of looking at our businesses and applying the same conditions to an SME with three employees mm. as we would to a global engineering firm. We know that's not going to work. <laughs> mm. You know, and everything in between. So we need to consider the context always and the yeah. solutions that we're applying. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So while we're on the subject, um, um, it sounds like you have been on your own journey of loneliness mm. in the past. Would you mind um, sharing a little bit what about you went through and how you um, overcame that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I never thought that I could be lonely because I mm. was always an introvert and I thought, I don't need that many people in my life. Now, I know that no man's an island, but I'm different. I was so smug, Anthony, seriously. Um, and then it got to a point, I think it was 2017, early 2018, and I was absolutely smashing it. So I was in a job where I was performing really well, winning industry awards and all of that. Um, I was top of my game physically. I just finished my first full marathon. Um, I had a great lover. I had amazing family who were living nearby. I didn't think I had any cause to be lonely. Mm. But then I realized that I was. As I said, I thought it was burnout and it turned out mm. to be loneliness. Yeah. Um, it came as a shock to me. But then I realized that actually throughout my life, things had slowly built up from childhood. Mm. Um, the social trauma of bullying, mm. not fitting in because I was 
designated to be a gifted child. So I was always a little bit apart from the other kids Mm -hmm. Um, and a whole bunch of stuff in between had just built up. And I finally got to the realization that I was feeling lonely and my social Mm -hmm. expectations weren't being met. Now I'd read something by a meta-analysis by Julianne Holt-Lunstead, who, if you're not familiar with her, she's basically the Beyonce of loneliness academia. Um, And I knew that from reading that, because I'm a psychology geek, I knew that it was really bad for me. And I don't know if I can swear on this this one. No? Maybe? Okay, so my approach, being the geek that I am, I was like, I this is not good for me. I don't want to feel this way. So I'm going to science the fuck out of it. Yeah. So I started hitting books. I read everything I could on the subject. I watched, you know, seminars and webinars and, and did all the stuff. Um, and the thing that bugged me most is that no one was talking about it, except mm. in very closed academic circles. Mm. We're starting to see some progress now. Thank goodness. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, basically I, once I started dealing with my own loneliness, I thought, we can't leave this unattended. Mm. And if no one's doing it, maybe I'm not the pers- best person to do it. Mm. But I've got hands and a brain, so I'm going to turn them to it anyway and yeah. see what happens. You know, someone's mm. got to do it. If no one else, then me. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of re- reflecting back to my childhood, um, mm. I'm not sure if I've shared this with you before, but like my parents separated when I was five. I got sent to India to a boarding school, which was crossed between army and prison. Uh, didn't know my mum until I was 21. So didn't really know what love was, didn't know what relationships, affection, all that stuff, you know. And then through the years, um, like I felt really lonely and I felt abandoned and re- rejected. And uh, And it's only in like in the last maybe 10 years that I've been comfortable with my own self um I've spent more time alone I guess in my in my life than I have in relationships and um believe it or not I've only had really three relationships and uh, and, and I'm gonna be 53 soon and it's like in three relationships in 53 years and um and uh I found that I you know the more I practiced self-love the more I was comfortable with myself, the the more I actually felt good, felt great mm. in my own skin. And it, it wasn't a, a want of, I need someone in my life. It was like, I'd love to have someone in my life who, um, who compliments me and stuff like that, you know. But for mm. years, for years, I remember when I came up to Auckland from Wellington in 2005, for years, I was so desperate to get into a relationship that I would just go dating after date after date after date, and you know, didn't get anywhere. Um, but I think I think looking back, I wasn't my authentic self either back then, and and now I think people see me more as my authentic self because I'm showing my vulnerability and I'm putting myself out there as who I am. What you see is what you get. I'm, I'm yeah. just who I am um, and I've got nothing to hide and so so yeah loneliness um, you know we can get we don't deal with some of the challenges some of the tra- trauma some of the conditioning that we've been put through I feel like we 
we're going to keep going through that pattern and cycle um, until we actually come to the awareness. And for me, awareness is the first step um, to any change. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, I think you've brought up several really interesting points there. So the first is obviously awareness um, and the fact that loneliness, just like happiness, is an inside job. Absolutely. You know, so it starts with you. And I say that to my clients. I say, look, I can give you strategies. I can give you tools. I can show you the science. I can condense the hundreds of books that I've read into something usable for you. But you have to do it. It's your life. You've got to be the one to run it. Um, The other really interesting point that you brought up was with regards to relationships. So it's definitely, in my opinion, quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you've been in three relationships in your life, it's more about the quality of those relationships and whether they meet your needs at the time and Mm -hmm. how much you learn from them. Our relationships are our biggest learning place. Absolutely. Um, and I think we need to also look broader because when you think about the biggest relationship that I, I'm guessing here, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, the biggest relationship in your life that you will have learned from is the one with your daughter. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so every child is like a university university degree or more um, yeah. in terms of learning, I think. And we need to recognize those the broader types of relationship, not just our romantic ones, but the yeah. other relationships in our lives with family, with kids, with friends, um, and mm. even with colleagues as places of learning. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally agree. I mean, uh, I remember, year, uh, what was it, 2019, around about between 2016, 2019, there was a guy at work when I was working at uh, Vodafone, and I was very highly strung, and I was like, because my, my, my background from boarding school was very much like, regimented so it was black and white there was no there was there was no color effectively and I was really highly strung and I was like oh you come to do your work you do your job you go home and this this older guy said to me Richard he said he said Anthony wait till you have your your daughter you're gonna she's gonna teach you so much you're gonna be Mm -hmm. a totally different person and you know what (laughs) absolutely just completely changed my life um my daughter Olivia and I have the the best of relationship. We we always tell each other we love each other. We always you know give each other a hug. We're always um, there if if one of us is not feeling good or something. We show empathy to each other. Um, and she's kind of like um, she's kind of like a mini coach. Like she coaches me sometimes, and um, and, and it's just so great to see. An almost ten-year-old, um, you know, following my footsteps already. So, yeah. I mean, kids are great like that. Um, and one of the reasons that they're so great at that is that there's no place to hide with them, no. because they're the best and worst of ourselves sometimes, and we've just got to face it, and we can't yeah. run away. Um, so, as I said, I think personally, every kid is like every child is like a university degree, probably a master's degree at least, in terms of the learning that we do, um, but it's it's more than a university degree because it's learning that you apply every day. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Thank you for that. All right, Angela. So uh, we've uh, now come to the point where I'm going to ask you five quick fire questions, um, and uh, yeah, love love to to hear what your thoughts are. So, how do you define success? 
And has that definition changed for you over time? It's definitely changed over time because I didn't define it very well when I was younger. Um, a couple of years ago, I went through the process of writing my personal purpose and that really helped define it for me. I decided that I wanted to be someone who lived hard, loved hard, um, rose as often as she fell, um, a bunch of other stuff. And I refer back to that every single day. Every time I need to make a decision, I look at my personal purpose and I think, does this work towards it or away from it? Mm. Decision made. It's It was life-changing. So I encourage everyone to do that. My definition of success is a life fully lived. And that is, I accept that that will change throughout my lifespan. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. So um, who has been your greatest inspiration and why? Um, my greatest inspiration, let's see. Probably my grandfather. Um, he was an amazing man. He was a simple man. Didn't really do a lot in terms of you know, changing the world, um, but he changed my world. Mm. And he showed me that it's possible for everyone to have a huge impact on someone. Mm. And that's why when I talk about working with high impact clients, I'm not talking about just CEOs. I'm not talking about just community leaders. I'm talking about parents and teachers and healthcare mm. workers. Um, because I think one of the things that the main thing that he taught me is that everyone can make a difference to someone. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, your grandfather must have been an amazing man. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is something that you believe that others might disagree with? Um, I believe in just saying the thing, especially in terms of loneliness, you know, working around the stigma of it um, and other social areas of other areas of well-being as well. Um, for example, our sexual well-being is something that's taboo and we don't talk about, but it's really important. You mm. know, so one of the things that I believe is that we need to um, be a bit more open about things that are maybe uncomfortable to talk mm. about at the beginning mm. because they're not going to get more comfortable by not talking about them. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, I had a, uh, a coach, Emma Carr, who I did an interview with around masculine, feminine and sensuality and stuff. And we talked a lot about, really about that, opening up and, and sharing. Yeah. If you could go back to your younger self and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? You know, Anthony, nothing, because I know she wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> I know she wouldn't. <laughs> Um, I think she did at all times during her life, she did the best that she could with what she had at the time. Mm. She didn't have the lessons that I have now. And mm. I don't know if I were to go back and try and impart wisdom. I don't know that she'd have the tools to absorb that. Um, but if there was one thing I would probably say to myself, just relax love mm. more the answers will come yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely totally agree um what is one message that you would like to share with the world so the one thing that i would love to share with the world is that if you're feeling lonely it is not a personal failing there's nothing shameful about it a lot of the stuff that you've been taught about it you can unlearn it's not a bad thing it's actually your body's 
natural evolutionary response to unmet mm. social needs. You know, we're meant to be part mm. of a tribe. When we're not, we feel it. And we feel it because something is prompting us to change. Mm. You know, so loneliness is actually, I think, a superpower, you know, because it reminds mm. us that we're capable of change and also capable of just tremendous amounts of love mm. and brotherhood and and such wonderful levels of social connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we often see these things that that trigger us or things that pop up as bad things, but they're actually, like you said, there's superpowers. And if we if we only took the the mentality or the approach of being curious about what that's teaching us or what what we're learning from that and mm. asking the question and going, oh, okay, what what's happening here? Yeah. Then yeah. we would have that awareness and we'd be more open to taking action towards changing. And as that's saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, and it's so important that, because I believe that every day we are shifting our identity and um, the only only way you can become your future self is to go through change. Yeah, and I mean, in that process, oftentimes our feelings are flags mm. and they pop up and they tell us what needs attention. Mm. And if we ignore them, we're not going to get anywhere or we're not going to get there as fast as we would like to. Absolutely, totally agree. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and, and um, on, on this really important topic of loneliness because a lot of people face it. And, and I hope that... Uh, People watching this have got some awareness, some some gems out of it. Um, and um, before we finish off, um, if people wanted to get in touch with you around your coaching um, and how you help people, uh, what, how would they do that? And have you got any programs or anything running at the moment that uh, that they can get involved in? Um, so you want to quickly share how, how people could get in touch with you. Sure. So I don't have any workshops running at the moment. Um, I will do later in the year. But for now, as always, I'm offering um, brief consultation calls so that we can explore with potential clients what their needs are and how we can best address them. Mm -hmm. um, and you can find that via my website. So that's www.ourstolive. That's ours without the H. Ourstolive.com. Awesome. Awesome. So there we go. Um, if you're watching this and... This, any of this has resonated with you, I invite you to connect with Angela for a free call to discover what, what challenges you're facing. And uh, um, I'm pretty sure that she'll be able to help you um, on your journey. So thank you very much, Angela, for joining us today. Thank you. And, so. and if you love this episode, and please share it with on social media, tag me in, tag Angela in. Um, uh, I believe she's on social media as well. And if you'd loved, I'd love to read the comments and interact with you and, and the listeners. So click the link if you want to join the Champion Mindset Facebook group. So that's a group that I run on Facebook. It's also now on LinkedIn. So if, you, if you'd like to be part of a community where uh, you want to be empowered to understand your purpose in life and be able to achieve your life goals with a champion mindset, click that link in the description. Also, I'm running a four-week 
uh, Mind Mastery Challenge. It's a it's basically a evergreen challenge, which means you can jump on any time. It's absolutely free, and it, it's built around discovering and building an awareness around your life, around where you are and where you want to go and what steps you need to take. So I encourage you to click that and register. And don't forget to share this episode with your friends and families and colleagues. Let's spread positivity and empowerment together. And remember to champion your life and champion your greatness. Thank you for joining Angela and I on this uh, episode. Have an amazing day. 